In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers' easy win against the Oklahoma City Thunder, their dreadful performance against the Pelicans in the previous night, Furkan Korkmaz's big three-point shooting night, Ben Simmons' aggressiveness, and striking out in the buyout market. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. The, the backwards hat, Rich Hoffman. What uh, what, what would you say the percentage of the time that you wear a hat is it backwards? Well, I have this one hat that I like. It's from uh, it's from my college Fordham that says "Fu" on the back. It's okay, very cre- it's very creative. But uh, this is mainly the it, only one that it, I it, wear backwards. It also used to work for the Sixers home arena. I really miss the FU mm-hmm. Center, uh, or at least the naming of it. It's still the same center, obviously. Now the Wells Fargo Center, which the team doesn't talk about, but long story. Anyway, how are you doing, Rich? I, I thought of your backwards hat because I was thinking of Ken Griffey Jr. the other day. Um, totally random tangent we're on now, but how you doing? I- I'm good, man. I, I appreciate the, uh, the the comparison to Junior Griffey. That's cool. The uh, We're in the, the dog days of the season, by the way. It's... Yeah. Uh, Look, it's it's okay. I mean, like, it's not a like last year. The dog days of the season were like, all right, they lost three games in a row again. What the hell is going on? And now it's like one bad performance, and the sky is falling, and they turn it around, and they're okay. But it's uh, yeah, the uh, I don't know. I, I think the end of this season might not be the greatest basketball in the world. The the one thing I will say is, let's hope like Sixers are healthy. Their next seven games or so are pretty hard. They yeah. got Dallas, Brooklyn, Clips. Two Suns, against Milwaukee. Yep. Two against Milwaukee. That is like, that's probably the hard, that's definitely the hardest part of the rest of their schedule. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I'm doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> Complete tangents today. Uh, but the Sixers, a 117-93 to win over the Oklahoma City Thunder. In a lot of ways, it felt like the Boston game where that game was over very quickly and it became very obvious that the Thunder did not have the horses to compete with the Sixers. Even if the Sixers were down, Tobias Harris and Danny Green, uh, you are you, you're, you're laughing. Did I say something stupid? No, I, I just they do have the horses to compete. They're just they just kept them in the stable. Well, that's true. Know? That's true. Uh, the, the shorthanded, we will graciously call them shorthanded Oklahoma City Thunder yeah, I mean, look, there's Moses Brown has been a, a good story. Pokashevsky, uh, Maladon, who I, I liked a little bit coming into the draft, but I didn't expect he would be playing 30 minutes per night in his rookie season already. A lot of names that if you are not uh, a pretty much a NBA dork, you probably you got a lot of introductions to last night. But the Sixers, even without Green and Harris, took care of business. Joel Embiid had probably his best game since coming back from the injury with 27 points, 9 rebounds, 4 assists, and 4 block shots. Ben Simmons was aggressive, especially early, which was nice to see. Uh, got some comments from Joel Embiid, which I'm sure we'll get into. And Furkan Korkmaz was just, I mean, he was on fire from, from the perimeter, which is always good to see. It always, and also, 5 steals from the the, the Corkster, uh, which is not yeah. what you expect. Ended up with some good quotes from Cork about how he's trying to learn from Matisse Leibel, which, quite frankly, Matisse does a lot of stuff that isn't really teachable. Uh, if Furkan starts trying to play defense like Matisse. He's just going to foul out in, in probably yeah, six would, minutes. Would not go well. No, but a good game, 
a bounce back game after an atrocious game uh, the night before, but a good game nonetheless. So we we talked about, you know, back in January, how the Sixers were pretty grumpy after that Nuggets game that they had to play and, and some of the other tough situations when they were shorthanded. Well, guess what? This was a gift from the NBA schedule gods because, okay, this was the one game that got canceled for them. Yep. And early, early in the season, look, th- they could have went into Oklahoma City and won that game early in the season. Like, probably would have been, I don't know, a 50-50 chance. But if Al Horford was playing, I, I you know what? Horford was not playing at that time, and Bede was also not scheduled to play on that trip. But you have Shea Gilgis-Alexander, you have Muscala, you have George Hill in the starting backcourt for the Thunder. They were actually okay with winning some games like Sam Presti was still not trying to win games but they had enough talent on the floor to be somewhat competitive that game gets canceled yeah you get Embiid back this time around and they started I believe the youngest starting lineup in NBA history they shot way above their heads the Sixers shot way below what they did and that game wasn't even close so yeah I mean you mentioned Moses Brown who yeah he has you know, a lot of activity. I think that's a, a good signing for the Thunder, who, by the way, I'm kind of like shitting on them now. I, you know, all those draft picks and a couple of these young guys hit, like they're going to be pretty damn good five years from now, six years from now, or whatever. So they're two years away from being two years away? Yes, they are. But like, which people, is, people which is use fun. that disparagingly, like that they, they're, they're, they're very well positioned for sure. For sure. And look, and look, like they're starting to lose some games now. I, I'm not sure they'll be able to, to drop, but man, if you, could get into the top five of this year's draft. You get a Cunningham or a Suggs or a Mobley or somebody like that. That you're already well on your way to uh, to skipping the middle portion. So so credit to them. But right now it's the process, and the process means you're going to lose a lot. And right. you have a guy like Moses Brown. It's probably not like too unlike a, a Nerlens Noel back in in the day, where you know he has some nice block totals, some nice rebounding totals in particular. He plays against Joel Embiid, no shot. No shot. And, you know, it was funny. It was fun doubling from the baseline with, with Dort, who's a a fun, young, good player. And at some point, Embiid realized, like, okay, I don't even have to pass against this. Like, I could just drive through the two of them and dunk the ball or lay it in, yeah, scoop shot it in. And then it was just one of those nights. And yeah, I would say it was it was pretty necessary considering how bad the offense sucked the uh the night before one up and uh you know you have him beat after the game. He's uh you know, remember a couple years ago when he had the had the mask in Miami, he is now officially complaining about that brace every night. And every know, chance he gets, so, yep. Yeah, I guess that's just part of his reality now. Yeah. Um you mentioned the process. The the Thunder's rebuild might end up with a Embiid and Simmons when they're done with it. It might even end up with a Durant uh, and a Harden and a Westbrook when they're done with it. But it will result in a lot of wins for other teams uh, in the intervening years. Uh, yeah, and the the you know the previous night it was so weird because the Pelicans are a Awful. bad defensive team, just a real bad defensive team. The Sixers had, yeah, they were on the road, but they had two nights of rest. They had a relatively healthy, the only person out of the lineup was George Hill and they just laid a complete egg and, and Bede looked bad. 
Like, he's just flat out bad. He had some activity in the first quarter, and then it seemed like, um, you know, Steven Adams, who's a big, strong guy, a tough matchup for Embiid, uh, blocked his shot once or twice, and Embiid just, he was perfectly content launching those 15-footers, which weren't going in at all. You know, after the game, I looked it up, and he nine of his last 10 shots after the first quarter were uh, outside of the paint. He got to the free throw line no times. That's just not a very Joel Embiid game. When you add in the fact that he's missing those jumpers, he had a, a poor performance overall. Um, and there's nobody that really helped elevate a struggling Embiid. So to come back out and have that success in the following night, and look, back-to-backs can be tough. And look, this is, like you said, this was a, they, they were beating up kids. And I had somebody in my mentions all last night screaming, oh, well, look how much better their offense looks. Well, yeah, first of all, you're comparing it to, and, and his his point was that spacing improves without Tobias Harris. Well, first of all, you're comparing it against one of their two or three worst offensive games of the season. Bar oh my God. Not even close. They're playing the Thunder. And also, these are, these are, these are teenagers. Like, this barely counts. Um, but they very much needed that win. Uh, that win and a Brooklyn loss pulls them back to tied with Brooklyn. They very much needed just a good performance. Uh, and now they have a chance to go out here and end this on a 3-1 road trip, which is, you know, even if, if some of the play wasn't great and even if some of the competition wasn't great, uh, that is a, a good place to be. Yeah, and, and you see Brooklyn who, who lays an egg on Saturday night primetime against the Lakers team that had nobody. Yeah. And they got killed by them. So I think it does go to show as bad as the Sixers were on, on Friday night in New Orleans, like that is going to happen to good teams, especially in this uh, in this weird season. Yeah, I mean, come on. The spacing doesn't get better without uh, without Tobias. It was good. I, you know, like just overall getting Tobias and Dan, and Dan I think was a, a good move. Getting uh, getting Embiid out of there after three quarters was a uh, was a good move as well. It's a uh, it's pretty funny yep. watching Joe against Stephen Adams, right? Like Stephen Adams, you wouldn't say defender in general, right? No, but a, a good post defender and obviously a great rebounder. And those are the two things you need against Embiid. Like you, yep. you just, and you know, you say those two attributes and I, I, I could just say he's fucking huge. Like he's just a big guy. He's fucking huge. Yeah. Who is like, he's strong enough to match Joel when post up. I, I agree though. He, with you, like he, he did settle a bit too much against Adams and like, to be clear, those mid-range jumpers that Joe is missing pretty much everyone right now, for most of the season, he was making every yeah, one yeah, of them. Yeah. Like, those are good shots, and frankly, like if he's going to make them at that clip, A, I think that's good practice for the playoffs, and it certainly probably doesn't hurt him as much. To uh, Those shots that we're complaining about right now are one of the major reasons, along with post-passing, one of the major reasons he is having by far the best offensive season of his career. It's what he's built a lot of his success this year on is the mid-range game, the face-up game, and being able to pass out of that a little bit better. That being said, so yeah, like missing the shots made the shots look worse, but there's usually a mix in there of getting into the yeah. paint, dry, taking someone off the dribble, uh, posting up, and that just stopped in the latter stage of that game. Yeah, and you know, as good as Steven Adams is with the with the strength and everything, Joe could put fouls on him in a hurry too. I sure. mean, come on, like he yep. could. It's just if he's aggressive enough, and for some reason, he was not. Now, to be fair to him, in that Friday game, I, that was that was a fun one, just because like, wow, everybody was pretty bad on offense. Yep, and that's just what it was. Uh, you know, Tobias was bad, Ben was bad, 
Seth didn't make a shot. Like the bench was was pretty. The bench was okay. They made a few shots, but uh, yeah. No, I mean the the outside of like Danny Green had an acceptable night. An acceptable, I think he made like two threes and had eight points. And that's a you know the it's not the super Nova Danny Green that we'd been seeing, but that's a pretty typical Danny Green career night. Um, by career, I mean typical of his career, not a the best night of his career. But outside of that, everyone in the, and and Tobias in the second half uh, made some stuff happen. But when you have Embiid just completely settling, and again the real takeaway there, going to the free throw line zero times for three quarters just never happens for Embiid. Uh, when you have Embiid not playing up to his normal self, Simmons completely disinterested offensively in half court, and um, Seth with a, a an offer, it, it was a, a just very frustrating, a very frustrating game to watch. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager and i think you're just gonna have to accept that seth one out of every i don't know 12, 13 games, like he's going to go scoreless. <laughs> he's just going to have a night where he takes like six or seven shots and none of them go in. And that's, uh, that's what you have to, uh, to live with. But yeah, good, good bounce back game last night. Uh, Cork, obviously he has never had five steals in his career before. That's, that's something that's different. He, uh, <laughs> I mean, he blew up a couple of dribble handoffs and just sprinted down the floor for dunks, which is just like, I was thinking like, oh man, this is like practice style defense against these guys. Like, you you know, maybe Sam Presti was watching that and thinking like, finally, I have, I have found a way to tank enough when, uh, when I see Cork Boss blowing up our stuff on offense, we've, uh, we finally reached perfect tanking level right now. He, uh, yeah, it, you know, it's funny, like, I don't think Cork is going to be a part of the the playoff rotation in part because his defense is good enough. But you know, good good for him that like on nights when the team is shorthanded, and like you said, rare Tobias and Danny night off. Danny, I think, had played every game of the season so far. Yeah, he steps in and he's fine. Like you know, as long as you're not playing like a great opponent, and even if you are playing a great opponent, like he, if you play him with Simmons and Embiid, it just feels like a much better player, which. 
I think it's true of a lot of guys, but he's he's fine out there. And that's uh like you said, after the game he's uh he's a quote machine. I think he was like didn't he say like somebody's defense is through the roof or something like that? Yeah, but I think he said like like above the roof or something. There was something lost in translation. I forget exactly how he phrased it. He also admitted that you know somebody asked him like, "Hey, when George Hill comes in, uh, you know, there's a chance one of you guys could be out of the rotation. Is that something you think about when you have an opportunity like he did um, to start?" And he just came out and was like, "Yeah, I'd be lying if I said I didn't think about it." Which I appreciate the uh, the the honesty there. And then also on, you know, what he can take away from Matisse Thibel's defense. Uh, here's a quote from Furkan. There's a lot of guys in this league that can that can play really good defense, but Matisse, he doesn't let you get that shot off. That's the weird thing. He makes you pissed off every time, uh, which is just, it's, it's true, but it's a it's a great way of phrasing it. So yeah, he was he was a quote machine. I thought it was interesting that he said, you know, with him and Matisse starting, starting uh, that he did feel some pressure because he knows the rotation could shrink, especially when you get the playoffs and especially when you add George Hill. Um, look, when Furkan's game is, when his shot is going in, I love watching that guy play. I just, I like the movement. I like the quick trigger. I like, he's got a, just enough off. I say it sometimes, but he has just enough creativity where he can get himself into trouble, but he does have enough where he can make use of, uh, you know, closeouts to attack. And the Sixers just need that sort of high volume. Doesn't give a shit three point shooter. And he is the closest they have. He is the closest they have to a, a bomber that they can grow outside of Seth. And Seth, for a variety of reasons, passes up more shots than he should. Oh, that honestly, like e- easy win in that game against Oklahoma City. Seth is passing up threes left and right in that game, and I'm just thinking, like, man, yeah. this is this is getting on my nerves. Yeah, he. Uh, it, it's funny. It feels like Cork has grown up. You know, now remember a couple years ago when he he made the the infamous trade request. I, I think some pe- some people yeah. forget that because it was. I believe it yeah. was Keith Pompey was just in some random city. It was like a Sunday game, and Korkmaz told him that he wanted to be traded. So, you know, that doesn't exactly make it on the jump or anything like that, uh, that <laughs> that news. I'm not sure it even would make it on, like, Reddit. Maybe Sixers Reddit, it would make it on. I think we might have, like, briefly mentioned it on a podcast. Maybe. So, yeah, but it, it's funny, like, when that... I don't know. I feel like I, I just remembered that a couple weeks ago and was like, oh, yeah, like Furkan asked to be traded. He has to be traded when he was terrible. Like when yeah. he he was shooting 32 percent. When, when I, I wasn't sure there was a place for him in the NBA at all. And, you know, I'm not sure he's playoff rotation, you know, when you have to push all of your chips in and you have George Hill healthy and all of those things. But he's definitely an NBA player. Yep. And, uh, you know, despite like a slightly worse shooting season this year and look at him he's like being mature about it. he's like yeah I'm, I'm fighting for you know my minutes but this is my my livelihood so it's been uh it's been good to see i mean still still very young guy he uh yeah and, and he, he definitely he definitely makes me laugh so that's good all right so the sixers signed anthony tolliver a longtime veteran six eight forward combo forward center uh has grown into a pretty respectable three-point shooter over in his career, he is now 35. He will be 36 here in, um, I think, about a month and a half. So, And hasn't hasn't been playing basketball uh, this year. I uh, signed him to a 10-day contract with the spot that they created when they waived Ignaz Berzikas. Get that name right? It's close enough. Doesn't matter anymore. Uh, he played one game for the Sixers anyway. Um, 
Iggy 2.0 RIP. So I guess take a step back because now we, this is who, barring something really unexpected, somebody else getting waived. Um, the one guy I would have interest in that was waived is, is Darius Miller, but he's not a big. So the, the situation that we're looking at in terms of solving the backup center minutes is complete. Where do you think they go? First of all, do you expect anything out of Tolliver? Um, and where do they go from here? And if you looked at Doc's quotes, uh, he was asked about it last night. But he was pretty candid, like, like, what do you want me to do, bench Tobias? And it's like, no, the minutes I think most fans are asking for are the other power forward you've got on your roster. Uh, and then he 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 sort of downplayed. Um, he's like, look, we're just happy to have Tolliver around. Something of that sort. I should have the exact quotes here, but I don't. But it doesn't sound like the immediate... And, Easiest explanation is usually right. If they thought he was a solution to the Mike Scott problem, they would assign him to a rest of season contract. They just want to see what he looks like. But expectations for Tolliver and what in the heck do they do when Joel is out of the game? I don't have high expectations for Tolliver just because Doc was asked about, you know, like you said, uh, is he going to get minutes? And Doc was basically like, no, maybe not any that really matter. That was the, the general gist of what he was saying. By the way, good doc weekend. Uh, don't want to get on this tangent too much, but after the New Orleans loss, I mean, that guy says we sucked after a game. I mean, he called him better than any coach I've ever seen. He yep. called him mentally weak. It was great. Anyway, but, but of course he's, he's fine the next night. Yeah. He, he said that, you know, they, they just wanted his three point shooting and, and veteranness. And, you know, I, I don't think he really even needed to say that to judge how much he's going to fit into the plans because like you said, like it's a 10 day contract. It's not a, uh, a big deal. I, I would like to see him get Mike Scott's minutes. Mike Scott has been, you know, he, he did shoot well in last night's game, but man, he has just not been good enough to be putting on the floor. Uh, yeah. And, and to me, the bigger deal with this is that they didn't sign the stretch five that we have been clamoring for. Yeah, and they're going to have to go to the playoffs, and they, they have Dwight Howard, and then really that's uh, that's it. You know, they could play Ben Simmons in a small ball look. Maybe the, the addition of George Hill can can find more switching, but I don't really see anything else except Dwight Howard at the five or Ben Simmons slash. I mean, I, I guess you could put Mike Scott and and Tolliver. At the five, like theoretically, if you signed him to a a longer contract, but again, these options are not inspiring at all, and they're gonna have to sign them. They're they're gonna have to do this with what they have. I think uh, you mentioned this before, but I, I like this. There is a decent chance that Dwight Howard, who, despite his ridiculousness and his crazy goal tens, and he had a very funny backcourt violation last night. <laughs> Despite his craziness, like I think overall has been a a positive backup center for this team. Yeah. Unfortunately, his numbers have been weighed down because they keep playing him with Ben, which just doesn't work. There is a chance that Dwight Howard becomes Montrezl Harold 2.0 yeah. this year, where Doc continues to play him, and then they don't have an answer. I look, may, maybe they find another way to do it with Ben and the. Uh, and the other group, but like, look, our position on this is really clear. I think this is a major weak spot. I think it's something that they should have been able to upgrade better, and they didn't. So, you know, again, like, it's it's only 10 minutes a game, but I, I am pretty concerned about how that's going to go. As you said on our podcast, 
last week. Uh, on a scale of one to five, with five being the highest concern, this is a concern level fifteen for ten minutes a game. Uh, it is a it's a pretty big concern. Um, the numbers are atrocious. I do think, you know, when we get to the playoffs and you have a bunch of imperfect options, whether it's Mike Scott, maybe Tolliver, if they end up signing him for the rest of the season, uh, any other kind of small ball configuration, I do worry that Doc is going to lean on and turn back to uh, the the traditional center, the big, physical, strong, defensive-minded center in, in Dwight Howard. Uh, and I don't know how you're going to reconcile that. You know, we brought up in the last podcast sort of like a small ball lineup when George Hill gets into the fold and when you can put Simmons at center and um, Tobias Harris and Danny Green and Matisse Thibel and George Hill and switch as much as you possibly can. I'm interested in seeing that. I would like to see Tolliver get a shot at some backup center minutes. Like if you're going to br- assign him to a 10 day, give him 10 days to play. Like you're, uh, yeah, you're, 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 you're chasing a one seed and that's important um, and pretty important for the Sixers. It would be great to be able to avoid one of those two teams in the second round. But it's not like your backup centers. You're, you're not winning minutes no. when Joel's off the court anyway. It's, so give it a shot. It's not a safe play. option in general. Right, right. So give him a shot. See if you can play. Evaluate him in that context. And I think he's going to have to get pretty creative. And you know that might end up meaning tying Simmons and Embiid at the hip minutes wise, and having Tobias run that unit with Dwight. If you do have to go with Dwight as a backup center. I'm not 100% sure that you are going to remain competitive defensively depending on how the other team staggers their rotation. George Hill might help with that. But yeah, when you get Hill in here and now with you have Tolliver, try some options uh, because going back to what has been tried so far this season just isn't working. Yeah, it's... And I do think the numbers with Harris instead of Simmons with Howard and the bench unit has been better. I'd have to double check that, but at least it was throughout the first half of the season. It was, but it was on the strength of good defense, which it's like, which eh, feels, I'm yeah. not sure that's going to. I agree. That, that's why I think adding Hill in there might help a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. It did, it did, it did feel fluky to your point. Yeah. I don't know what they do. It's a tough situation too, because they, they are chasing the one seed and they should get that one seed. Like that would be a huge deal, man. They could play the freaking Hornets in the second round of the Hawks like that that would be a massive deal but they also have to experiment with this group because now they they do not have the plug and play option that just makes sense right away on paper for Doc so yeah they're gonna have to get creative like look it doesn't have to be Monday against Dallas but they need to start trying these lineups they need to play at 10 minutes a game they need to know when to switch with these small ball groups because yeah, I, the Simmons and Dwight numbers—they're just we, we can't say this enough. They're terrible. They keep getting worse every time they play. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Yep. I think they're minus fourteen per hundred possessions. You can't play that in a playoff series against. It the was team. it was negative. It was negative ten just like a week or two ago. Yeah, it's it's been bad. Um, and on the one hand, they need to experiment to find a better solution. On the other hand, I'd like to see them sort of get their set rotations and some consistency in there too. So it's, it's, they have competing priorities here, which are both legitimate. Uh, and it is going to be, it would be great to get Hill in here as soon as possible. Cause then you can experiment now and then use the final three weeks of the season to fine tune that and get into sort of like a rhythm and a knowledge of what every night is going to look like. They're in a, yeah, look, they're in a good spot. They're a good team. 
They're a very good team with an MVP candidate who's needs to get back into MVP form. And by that, I don't even really mean conditioning. I just mean like getting back just into like making all um, of his, all of the shots like an MVP would. <laughs> yeah. And, and looking a little more comfortable on the court. Yeah. I wonder how long he's going to need that brace because he, I mean, like you said, he complains about that every chance he gets. <laughs> and look, I get it. Like, I'm sure it's not comfortable to play in. Uh, but I wonder how long is that, is that going to be something he's going to have on throughout the playoffs or is that going to come off before we get there? I don't know. Doc um, did say after last night's game that he thought it would only be a couple more weeks. So okay. he, he wasn't, well, it, he wasn't like guaranteeing it, but it, it does sound like, like Doc brought it up even before Joe did. So it, it, it's clear that he's like walking back to the huddle and Doc's like trying to draw up a play, and Joel's like, "This brace sucks." Like I, <laughs> yeah. Like, like, Doc, I'm, I'm taking it off. I'm taking it off. No, no, you're not. We're gonna run a post up for you now. He's like, "Well, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna miss the shot because this brace sucks." <laughs> it, it yeah. is very clear. Like Doc is very aware that Joe is not liking this brace whatsoever. But well, if if oh, Joe well. is is offering that information so readily to you and I, almost unprompted, I'm sure he's not quiet about it behind closed doors. I'm sure about that. All right. Uh, anything else you want to really bring up? These were two sort of like blah games. Uh, one of them they played shitty and the other team they played a shitty team. Uh, so not a whole lot to go off of here, but any other overriding thoughts on the team? It is funny that Embiid, even when he's not even trying to, is just brutally honest about Simmons. Yeah. All right, I'll pull up those quotes here. I got them here. Uh blah. Uh, the main point. He was, so Ben, he was asked whether he'd like to see Ben be more aggressive as a scorer. And he started off, oh yeah, for sure. Look, I want him to be aggressive every single game. Whether that's to make plays or whether to look for his shot, he's got to be aggressive. He's got to make guys on the other team guard him. He then went on to say he's a playmaker and he wants to be a playmaker and he wants to get everybody involved. But at times you need to just be aggressive and make the guys on other teams guard him. Uh, he then went on to say, like tonight, we saw it. I was really excited when he made those two shots. And by those who's referring to the jumpers, he's starting to be comfortable. He's getting back to where he was right before the all-star break. So he's got to keep doing that. Um, you know, on the one hand, you know, he started the quote off saying, yeah, we need we need Joe to be more aggressive, not just as a playmaker, but also as a scorer. So the other team guards him. He then seemed like he tried to walk it back and, and be a little more supportive and say, oh, well, he's 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 getting back to where he was. Well, it's really not. It was just one game. Before that, he was completely passive as well. It's two eight to ten foot jumpers. Yeah, so I think Embiid sort of tried to offer a uh, little bit of support and a little bit of encouragement. Um, but yeah, then they do need him to be more aggressive. Like the Sixers are better when Ben is aggressive and take advantage of his mismatches. That will result in some driving kicks, yes. Uh, but he's got to be a little more aggressive as a scorer to really force those rotations. Um, and that's a lot of it. Isn't just, I, you know, doc says it all the time. And the pushback I always have when he's like, Oh, well, I just want him to play basketball and be a setup man. Well, the offense isn't playing all that great. Uh, so you need him to be more like it's, there's room for improvement. And when Ben can get the other team, it's not just the points Ben scores. It's the rotations that he forces. When Ben can force the other team to rotate more and the other team is scared of him as a scorer, it will open up passing lanes and scoring opportunities for his teammates. Like we're not, it's not an either or, um, if if it, if every game was like the Oklahoma City game, then I could deal with whatever thirteen points and five assists or whatever because they're getting wide open shots right the entire night. But that's not the case against good defense. It's not even the case against Oklahoma City. Like Ben has nothing at the end of games. It, it, you know, some of it is a lack of aggressiveness. I, I think like he could just put his head down and draw more fouls. 
And some of it is just that he is a limited offensive player. He does not yeah. have a lot in his his bag. He's got hook shots People that frankly aren't good. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he's got hook shots that don't go in. He does not have a jump shot. He is, you know, he doesn't have like a variety of kind of foul drawing moves like Embiid would on the drive. Like, I, I think some of it is not being aggressive enough. Some of it, I, I just don't think he's very good at drawing fouls. So when you have this limited playing style, and by the way, like throughout these games, you do see like like Dort had one or maybe two steals in last night's game where, you know, Ben's in the dunker spot and it's just an easy rotation to make. And you're like, you are you have a Joe post up and you're basically running your guy into uh, into Joe. And that's like, that is just something they're going to have to work around. And Ben is going to have to work around it by, by being more uh, aggressive. But yeah, like Joe, he was not really trying to even hurt his feelings, I would say. But the key there is he needs somebody to guard him. No, I I think Joe is trying to be supportive and supportive while adding a little bit of encouragement and that, and pressure. But that is like a brutal sentiment. Like that is a brutally honest sentiment. Yeah. Hey, you're an all-star player. It's your fourth year. I've been with a lot. I've been through a lot with you. And by the way, like make somebody guard you on the defensive end. Like that is a yeah. that is just a fundamental basketball thing that is I think Entirely true, by the way. It uh the the gulf between Ben's offense and defense at the end of that New Orleans it's game. Amazing. He was yep. he was doing the Dame Lillard thing where he's picking up Brandon Ingram thirty five feet from the hoop. It just embarrassing him. Like he, he just like Brandon Ingram barely getting a shot up at at the free throw line when he turns up the defense to a hundred. But offensively, he's got nothing. He's giving it all back. So. Well, that, that's the thing. He's he's one aggressive mf'er on the defensive yeah. side of the court, late in games. It is it is weird. And like I've you know I've got you've got people that are like, oh well, here we go. And and I this is why every time he has a good spell and a bad spell, I don't really care anymore. Like yeah, he had that month in the middle of the season where he was aggressive. Okay, but let's see what happens when he struggles, when he hits a rough patch, and but when he hits these horrible patches, I'm like okay, I'm not going to freak out either because I know he's going to eventually get back to, like, yeah. at the end of the year, he's going to hit the back of his baseball card. Uh, and that is, he, that's just who he is offensively. Uh, and it's, you know, I've got people who are like, well, why why, why are we always talking about how other players fit with, with Ben? Well, because he's got these massive weaknesses and they're not going to just go away. And if I get mad at him, they're not going to go away. So you have to make decisions and roster moves that complement what he does and doesn't do. Um, unless you get to the point where you move him, but they're not at that point and that, like he's still a really good player. It would be malpractice to not say, how does every piece fit with Ben Simmons right now? You have to, cause he's so unique. He's so, um, he's, he's a one of one. There's only one Ben Simmons in the sport. There's really probably only one Ben Simmons in the history of the sport as unique of a player as I've ever seen. You do have to be very, and this is a big part of the Dwight Howard conversation. You have to be very careful and deliberate with each piece around him because you need his defense uh, you need, quite frankly, his creativity and his shot creation because you don't have a lot of creativity on the roster, but he has some massive limitations that you have to work around. It's so weird. He's always had his up and down stretches for seasons. This has been this ridiculous. This has been... You had the beginning, which was as bad as he's probably ever played. 
the middle, which was as good as he's ever played. Yeah. And then here, where he's back to where he was in the beginning of the season, it is weird. And this is one thing with Doc, you know, it, it is always interesting to me. And we always say, like, our whole thing has been coaching is overrated at times. Not inconsequential, but overrated because it's the easiest explanation for a lot of stuff. It is interesting how Doc gets a lot of credit for Tobias Harris having a career year. But whenever people talk about Ben Simmons' struggles, it's not, well, why isn't Doc getting more out of him? Bingo. Uh, and I, I think it is... There's some truth to it for both players. Like, I think one of the things that the previous coaching staff tried was to get Tobias outside of his comfort zone, to have him be more of a high-volume three-point shooter, to have him be more of a setup man in the half court, to run more pick, not more pick and roll, but have him more of as a, not just a scorer and a, a quick decision maker, but to use his scoring to try to set up other players. And I think that made the game, uh, I think he ended up thinking too much through the game and not taking what his natural shots were as a byproduct. And, you know, I think Doc did a good job with Tobias and putting him back in that comfort zone, limiting his decision-making so he can make quicker decisions and getting shots that he is comfortable with. Well, on the other hand, he's not pushing Tobias outside of his comfort zone, but he's also not pushing Ben out of his comfort zone either. Uh, and I think that is, you know, you're seeing a good part of Doc's strategy where it works for Tobias. I'm not sure it works with Ben. And I don't know. I'm, like, people, I've... Uh, again, other people are like, well, how is Ben not the number one story all game, every game? Well, can you imagine if we spent every game talking about the same thing for four years straight? Like these, these aren't new problems, but I can get why you're frustrated because they're, he's, he, he's the most polar. I don't, I really didn't mean to get on a, a 10 minute rant about Ben Simmons. Cause I, I love what he brings. I just wish he'd have to work around so many deficiencies so often. It is so true though, you know, with, with my friends and, some of the people, you know, on Twitter, when the Sixers do well on a road trip, it's, oh, 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 thank God Brett Brown's not here. You know, Doc, we have a real coach now. Well, guess what? Doc Rivers has presided over two of the worst stretches of Ben Simmons' career. He's never been this bad. So if you credit one thing, you kind of have to credit the other. I don't know. It Basically, it, it does affirm our point, though, that, like, I don't think this is Doc Rivers' fault for the most part. Like, I think this is Ben Simmons just needs to be better individually as a player. Yeah, he needs he needs grow his skill base. Hopefully when that happens, he will become more confident. And when the two of those merge, he will be a more consistent half-court offensive player. But we haven't seen the growth in, in either of those, the skill set or the mentality, to where I, I get if you're frustrated after four years of non-development in this regard but look look look, i'm just saying like we're having a conversation about it now like the the subtext is like the way he has played for 60 percent of the season is unacceptable it's it's just not even close to good enough yeah no that's fair and look but i'm not going to spend 40 minutes on a podcast saying is my point yeah there's there's only so much you can say at this point like he is sort of who he is and some of the criticisms are fair some of the defending is fair he's the most unique player I've ever covered. It's really weird. Uh, anyway, I think that is a good enough place to wrap it up. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.